So here we go. Would you open your Bibles to James chapter 5? James chapter 5. We're finishing out the letter of James today. And uh, there's a lot of uh, sadness for me in that. I'm still catching my breath. Anyway, um, because I have loved this study for me personally. Um, I feel like I've gotten to know James and like I've ever gotten to know him. And we come to the last two paragraphs. And uh, if you just read through the letter of James and you come to the end, you're kind of like, this is a bizarre ending. Because it's just like he just drops off the cliff. He has these things that he says, and it's just like, boom, done. Like, that's it? No, like, you are loved? No, nothing, man? Um, and uh, so in it, as I've just spent time with these couple last paragraphs, I'm approaching these as uh, the last words of the letter, and I think there's something, a picture to be gained off of here that is oftentimes missed, I mean by that is there's some marvelous things to talk about in these last couple paragraphs of James. Kind of if you were a scuba diver, it's like there's some moments you just dive down and go hunker down, I'm not a scuba diver. And uh, just dig into what's right there at the moment and come back to the air. Uh, but I want for you to know I'm grabbing the surface here uh, of these final two paragraphs, because I think James is concluding with a picture on purpose here. There's something we oftentimes miss seeing in the closing words of James, because we want to dive down into some interesting conversations um, that are intriguing, uh, but another time. And there's something, a big picture to be seen, and I want to try and pull this big picture for us together, and I would say it this way. It's being his people in our togethering. That's what he's trying to pull together. It's like the exclamation point to the book. It's, it's all of this practical stuff, you know, being his people in our knowing and our boasting and our remaining and our exchanging and our religion and our partiality and so on and so forth, all the way down the list. And then you get to this last one. And I think he is pressing home this, there is a togethering thing that is supposed to be happening in God's communities togethering. I actually don't think togethering is something we as a culture get very well. We are a fiercely independent culture. And in fact, that is one of the historical things that has made America such a unique country in all of, uh, of history, human history. Uh, we are fiercely uh, independent. Uh, our culture idolizes rugged and radical individualism if you will, the gods on our Mount Olympus are the gods of self-greatness and self-sufficiency. I am my own man. I am my own woman. I am my own teenager. You know, that, those are kind of the declarations of our day, and, and we want to be self-made and self-authorized, and uh, we proclaim self-esteemed and self-empowered and self-respected and self-authority. And yet at the same time, in all of that, there's this crazy, amazing yearning for community. There's a desire to be a part of something that is far bigger than our own little lonely selves. 
than just ourselves. It's, it's a crazy oxymoron with what's going on. We, we have this self-idolization, this self-rugged individualism, and yet this yearning for community. And our world tries to put those together. In fact, you're seeing our world trying to put them together through socio-political structures. It just doesn't work. Innately, it doesn't work. It never has worked. Uh, but yet, we're going to think, I, see, I think, seeing at the end of James, I think we end up seeing this thing where God's calling his people. There is a rugged individualism that is to show in a living of a community. I could say it this way. Fierce and fierce for Christ, fierce in Christ individualism, living in a fierce for Christ community. You say that again. Fierce in Christ individualism that lives in a fierce for Christ community. What am I talking about? Well, let's read these final two paragraphs and then I'm going to kind of uh, skim over the top of them and pull out five traits of a togethering people. Let me read these verses here. Verse 13, chapter 5. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him let her pray. Is anyone implied in it among you cheerful or happy? Let him let her sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him let her call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it, as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Verse 19, my brothers, my sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back... Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And so, God, we enter this text and we ask for your help. We just pray that uh, uh, we would learn more of you. We would learn more of ourselves. And we would learn more of what it looks like to be a community of individuals running fiercely after you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Five traits of a togethering people. Trait number one, togethering people pray. Togethering people pray. Uh, notice both paragraphs, verse 13, verse 19, both of them open up with this, anyone among you. Uh, that's important because the context is a community. There is a communal a reality that is taking place within the whole idea of the conversation here. That's been a fact all the way since verse 1 of chapter 1 when he's writing to God's people who are scattered, Messianic Jews scattered, and these local communities of God's people that are gathering as a, as a local body of Christ. He's, he's talking to those groups of people, anyone among you, and if anyone among you is doing what? What's it say? And if anyone among you is suffering. All right, second service, come on, man, with me. I need you. I haven't been feeling good this week. I need you. Um, uh, suffering. It's this idea of, of, of not annoyed. 
Let me clarify this. We Americans sometimes think everything we go through is suffering. Let's just know this. Not everything we go through is suffering. Okay? Like, there are life annoyances. It's not talking about that. There are life inconveniences. It's not talking about it. There are irritations of life. There are even pet peeves of life. We're not talking about those things. We're talking about suffering. Real deal, hardcore suffering that's taking place here. And he's writing to God's people, and it's so intriguing to me. He says, is anyone among you suffering? What does it say to do? Let him, let her pray. It's interesting in the language, it's important because I would be thinking here, James would actually be saying it right at this moment, gather everyone, pull everyone together, let's come around them. He's going to say that here in a little bit, actually. But right here, right at this moment, he's pulling everyone together and he's saying, uh, he's not saying that, he's saying, listen, I'm talking to the individual, the person that is in suffering. Here's the call for you, it's an imperative form. You must be praying, fierce individual prayer. Why is that a big deal? Because I'm not so sure we do that. I'm totally about being straight on the table with you today. I'm not so sure we do that. I'm not so sure if in times when we're in suffering where it's like we really almost view it as this opportunity like God has put us face down and the only thing that we have left to do is fiercely pray, fiercely so, desperately so. We're Americans. We try and do everything else but that. We try and, you know, strengthen ourselves up, you know, buck it up, we, we muscle it up, we organize it up, we arrange it up, we do, and, and that's kind of the last thing on the, on the lever that we'll pull. And really, James is like, that's the first level, first one to be pulling. Fierce individualism in prayer. I love uh, some reading I was doing here in the last two weeks. Father Basil Nixon, a a Benedictine monk, he said, prayer is being with God. I like that. It's just being with God. It's kind of like, Hey, Jesus said in John 15, abide with me. It's kind of like in Luke where Jesus said, Martha, 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 would you please just sit down and be with me? You know, see, we think prayer, you know, we, we, we pull out the Excel spreadsheet, uh, the bullet point list, the to-do structure, and we start telling God all the things that he's probably unaware of. And needs a little bit of help and understanding. And, or the to-do list. God, would you do this? And would you do this? And would you do this? And, 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 and Martha, Martha, Martha. Just be with me. Also in some reading, an author said, to pray is to engage in contemplation. I mean, just time of contemplation, being with God. We stink at that. I'm just, I stink at that. So many things to do. 
just need to calm down and just contemplate with the Lord. More of that, church. More of that. Fierce in that. On our knees. Togethering people pray. Trait number two, togethering people sing. Literally at verse 13, it's kind of like James goes to the other end of the, the spectrum. Is anyone among you cheerful? New International Version says happy. Is, we've gone from suffering in one sentence to cheerful in another. And, and those that are cheerful, uh, I'm setting you up, what are they supposed to do? Yeah, like over here, suffering, pray, uh, cheerful, sing. I'm not so sure we're good at that either. I mean, when we have those moments in time where life is like, hey, how's today going? You know what? I I just got to say, it's a delightful day. Those don't always come along, do they? And here it's kind of the idea of when that's coming along, uh, uh, don't just go, cool, sing unto the Lord. There's a vertical reality. The suffering person takes it vertically in prayer with the Lord. The the rejoicing person takes it vertically in song and praise unto the Lord. It's like sing a song, uh, uh, write a psalm, uh, uh, dance a dance. Really? Yeah. Happy dance. I'm a horrible dancer. We call it, so you think you, uh, so we wish we could dance. We watch on TV. Because we're, Karen and I are always like, we wish we could dance. And yet here it's the kind of thing to where it's like, just, just look stupid and dance. Unto the Lord. You know, I remember when our kids were really little and they would do goofball dances. They were the coolest things. Why can't I do that? Why can't we do that? Unto the Lord. More of that James is calling for. More of that. Goodness sakes, if we can dance and shout and scream for joy when the Colts score a touchdown, (laughs) we should be able to do this like by 10. We're getting a picture of a community here we're building. Let's go to the next one, trait number three. Togethering people call. Togethering people call. Verse 14 and 15. Let me read verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? That's the third one. Is anyone among you? Is anyone among you sick? Let him call. Let her call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. I understand this scenario to be an individual who is an active part of a local community of believers and their physical uh, situation is such that they are unable to uh, 
be at a point physically where they can bring themselves uh, to the elders or, or even to other believers. I think it can be uh, assumed in verse, that verse 13 should be taking place in their life. Let me connect that here just for a second because I think we move on too quickly. Wait, what was the first call? Those who are suffering are to be fierce in prayer unto the Lord. So I think by the time we get to this, is anyone sick among you? Part of what should be happening with that individual is they should be fierce in prayer unto the Lord. I think what is about to be said isn't just something that comes out of randomness, actually comes out of having been fierce in prayer with the Lord. That God has given them wisdom, that God has moved along in such a way, that God has, has prompted them to the place where we need to move this to a next layer of community involvement with what's going on. This is not a last rite event. I think this is also not some kind of magic elixir uh, voodoo uh, event with the oil. It's not some magician healing event uh, in it. Instead, this fierce in prayer individual has been saturating their situation in prayer and now are calling God's people as through the elders. Elders are those who have maturity, recognized maturity in a local community and taken on a capacity of leading people and shepherding people in the community. And now it's come to the point where it's engaging them in it. And I think we're gonna see here not only just to pray over them, not only to seek the will of the Lord in the healing of them. Uh, by the way, James talked about, uh, Pastor Eric preached on, uh, if it's the Lord's will, but also to discern the situation. Look at verse 15 to try and pull this together. It says, verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Again, understanding that God sovereignly has allowed sickness and God may sovereignly heal them of that sickness and yet God may sovereignly have them remain in that sickness for the Lord's will and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. That's an interesting thing to say in this whole context. Again, I can't dive down deep today because of time, but I am just kind of pointing to this, that we see this community. Here is this person in suffering who has been saturated it fiercely in suffering, has now come to the place where out of that, it's like, uh, could you bring the elders here? And so the elders come in, not only just to pray over, not only just to put oil on, but also to discern the whole situation. Because it talks about there might even be sin that is brought about this. And in this, we have this, again, we could get into all the intriguing trees and miss the forest. But in this, it's this thing that God is wanting his people to come together in such a way. And the elders come even to discern what's needed here. Is there something that's been going on that has brought this about? And I think actually this person, after having been fierce in prayer, is wanting them to come in to speak into the whole situation of it all. This is community. 
It is a building community of what's going on. That's the big picture of what's taking place here, friends. And it's a beautiful picture of what's happening here. It's not individualism on its own perim uh, far perimeter uh, outside of the circle, but it's coming in together and they're engaged in it and they're calling. And then we go to the next trait. Take a look. Add this to it. They're confessing. Togethering people confess. And pray. Let me read verse, uh, or look at verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is great power as it is working. I'm going to read through 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain in the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Spend a whole Sunday on this, but let me just say, therefore confess your sins to one another. It's even coming out of this whole idea of elders coming into this situation and they're discerning what's happening, praying for healing, putting oil on it, representing, I think, symbolically the historicalness of what God has done through that event of putting oil on, as well as the symbolic uh, presence of the Lord and dependence on the Lord. And in this movement of it, it could even lead to discernment of sin, and then confession is happening. These are things that should be happening. Let me say it this way. Why are we so afraid to confess sin to one another? Answer, our own stupid pride. That's why. I mean, here you have this picture. So in this community of local believers. You have uh, those that are suffering intense in prayer. You have those that, that are cheerful and they're singing praise. And you have those that are now, it's time to call elders to come. And the elders are coming and they're praying over and oil and anointing and God's presence here and seeking the Lord to do a work there in it. And then you have even in this community of confessing our sins to one another. Not in some drama event where we're all getting together and verbal vomiting on each other. It's not the kind of thing where we're pulling together and it's like, hey, I got a sin I want to let you know about. Hey, I can top that one. Mine's worse than your sin. I mean, it's not that drama thing going on. But at the same time, this is a community that is being described. Friends, that is like, a real community of people. Hurting people, rejoicing people, praying people. We've got confessing people. I mean, even the whole Elijah thing. Elijah's praying that, that God would, would, would cease rain so that people would confess. And there is in the top of this, this beautiful community that is taking place. Fierce in Christ individuals living in a fierce for Christ community. Millennials, you guys get picked on a lot nowadays. Um, a word of something we can learn from you. Back in my 20s, in my vocal Gen Xer days, um, we got hammered by baby boomers. We got hammered by baby boomers for kind of questioning authority and questioning norms. 
Truth of the matter is, is they needed to be questioned. That's still the Gen Xer in me. Millennials. Um, one of the things I absolutely love about you is you are looking for a community experience that is unlike prior community experiences. I might say it this way. You yearn for the kind of community that James is talking about. A vibrant community of experiencing together. Like cut the baloney and let's like be real. And let's like be a community. And let's like pursue after God. And let's have an impact for God. Let's be fierce in Christ as a fierce for Christ community. Well, more of that. More of that. And that includes confessing to one another and praying for one another. Just the other week, I had just a delightful confessing time with someone here. It was marvelous. More of that. More of that in our homes. Let me just ask, is there confessing of sin taking place in your home? If there isn't, why not? Do we think that we're not broken individuals living with broken individuals? In need of being able to say, I was wrong there. Will you forgive me? Man, what that brings to that community. Your kids need to hear that, mom, dad. Kids, you need to seek forgiveness of your parents. That becomes a vibrant community when those things are taking place. Confessing in our homes and praying for one another. By the way, if you want to know ways to be praying for one another here, uh, uh, go to the Radiant Bible Church Facebook prayer page and you can see people who put things on there to pray for. You can add to that. I don't do Facebook, so I'm not there, but you, you can do that. Or, or you can email the church prayer request and we get it out uh, to the staff and uh, pray for you with that. But the picture here that we're seeing is, is this community of people that is unlike what the world is producing at all. And then lastly, together people restore. Togethering people restore. Let me read verses 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You see this beautiful picture of people restoring. You can't help read this but not think of Matthew 18 when Jesus talks about there's you know, one sheep goes away and he's like, I'm going after. Well, why would he do that? Answer, because he loves that sheep. There's a couple things that uh, this whole idea of restoring, some assumptions that are made in the text here. One, it assumes the potential for wandering away. Why are we shocked when people will want to wander away from the faith? Actually, that, that should be an assumption of the potential of that. It's a potential for me, it's a potential for you, it's a potential for all of us. There's the assumption of that people are engaged and aware. 
In other words, that people could be wandering and that my eyes are open for those around me in my circle of relationship. I'm engaged enough in relationship with people in the community of Christ that I even have the opportunity and the ability to see if someone is walking away. It, it assumes engagement. It, is, it assumes a loving of them to, enough to want to risk going after them. And we live in a world today where the, the greatest sin uh, on the table today is to offend somebody. And so we're afraid, plus we have mass, we're afraid to interact with people today and we're afraid that we're offending them. Can I say this? Real community loves people enough that we're willing to risk that. Because not only does God love them, but we love them. And they matter. And you see this restorative community of God's people. Totally transparent with you. I've been, uh, I haven't felt well this week and I'm a bit foggy in my head and so I've been praying, oh God, would you just pull all this together? And so um, I'm not sure if it's clear today because I'm coming from Foggyville. So let me make a final attempt to pull this together in the concluding. James has been writing to communities of people, of God's people. And he has been writing to them, telling them all these things that we have been talking about of, of, of uh, hey, these are attributes. These are things that are to be part that you should be pursuing after as, a, as communities of God's people gathering together. And, and then he comes down to this end, and I'm serious, if you just read it and, and finish it, you're like, man, that just stopped. But, but I think what James is doing here is trying actually to finish with this picture of, of a vibrant, intersecting and interacting community of people in each of these communities. And so as he looks at this and finishes in these final two paragraphs after saying all this kind of stuff for us and what we're to be in it, he has this sense where he looks at, if you will, a community and he says, in this community, there are those that are gonna be in times of suffering and, and you should be vibrantly, fiercely in prayer in those times. And in that community, there are those at the same time that are in cheerful, happy, delightful moments of life. And they should be singing praise out unto the Lord. And, and then in it, there are those where it gets to a place where they, they, they call for the elders. And now we've got the rest of that community is starting to kind of come involved and be involved in that. And, and they're not there just to pray and to seek uh, Lord's healing in the situation. Lord, if it's your will, would you do that? But they're also discerning what's taking place. And maybe then out of that, there are other things that need to be happening within that local community to be loving on and helping in the situation. And, and then also he brings up, and there's should be confessing that's taking place because goodness sakes, we're just, bless our hearts, we're broken people. 
redeemed in Christ and yet so not perfect. And, and confessing and prayer is going on. And, and, and then, by the way, if, if someone begins wandering out, uh, man, we should want to restore that person. Not for the numerics of it, because goodness sakes, that's someone that Jesus died for and loves, and Jesus would have gone after them. And, and uh, you have this, if I can say, this beautiful ant farm of intersecting activity together. What a way to finish the book of James. He's not just do, 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 do. It's actually be. There is something that we are to be with a living vibrancy of God's people collectively together in local communities where there is life. And oh God, that in us, that in us.